Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 610 Media acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast was recorded the Gubby Gubby people, and we pay our respects to elders past, present, and future. A quick disclaimer before we start. Tear It Down is a podcast about all things mental health. Therefore, it may contain coarse language, adult themes, and subject matter that may be distressing to some listeners, such as suicide, self-harm, and references to drug and alcohol abuse. Please, listen at your own discretion. If you yourself are struggling, you can reach out to Lifeline on 131114. G'day and welcome back to Tear It Down. Tearing the stigma down around mental health, one story at a time. I'm Jamie Paltz, and this is episode 11. Today's guest is Bianca Ismailovsky. Bianca is a comedian and a podcaster from Melbourne. Two years ago, Bianca found herself in a bad cycle of drug and alcohol abuse, which was affecting her life and her mental health. Nowadays, Bianca is sober and doing her part by telling people openly about her life and her journey. Be warned, this episode contains talk of drug, alcohol, and sexual abuse. So welcome to the show, Bianca. Hi, thanks for having me. No, it's great. Thank you for joining me. And look, I really appreciate your bio on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's very, yeah, well, it's you, obviously. Yeah, Um, I can't remember it. Australia's number one ethically monogamous, sober, bisexual... <laughs> gluten-free comedian. Bisexual. Oh, divorcee. Yeah. Divorcee. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Even I forget uh, all of the, the list there. Yeah. Yeah. No, well done. So you are divorced. That's pretty recent, right? Well, yes. Yes. I am. I'm separated. I haven't yet got divorced, but um, I just, I say divorced because um, I'm like separated implies that we might get back together and that's not going to happen. But yes, it is recent. Um, I, I Just over a year ago now got uh, separated, yeah. And so you're in Melbourne, so you've been hammered by lockdown after lockdown. Number six at the moment, you were saying off air? Yeah, number six. Yeah. So you're in the actual city or just like around it? Yeah, no, I'm right in the CBD. Um, I feel like I live in a hot spot and I just... <laughs> Yeah, I barely leave my house at this point. It's, um, it's you know, it's weird because it's just like this, it's hauntingly familiar and uh, it's almost harder coming out of lockdown every time because like you want it to happen and then it happens and you realize that you don't know how to socialize and you <laughs> don't, you just get so burnt out really quickly. Like yeah. I can only socialize now for about an hour and then I'm like, guys, got to go. So yeah, it's, it's a very frustrating time to be a Melbournian. 
Wow. So are you, have you had COVID or do you know people who've had COVID? I actually don't know anyone that's had COVID, which is surprising (laughs) because our case numbers have been high. Um, But I'm fully vaxxed. Um, Same, same. Yeah, yeah. I got vaxxed relatively early. Um, So I'm... Is that your cat? (laughs) Yes, it is. Um, I had to lock her in here because I decided to do laundry today, like the, like, which I never do uh, when I'm recording and the cycle hasn't finished. So I'm stuck in the bedroom and she is going nuts. So I do apologize. That's fine. Um, I can't hear yeah, it. No, I, uh, I'm fully vaccinated. I, I just want to get out. I want everyone to get vaccinated so we can get out of here. But um, yeah, no, I, I don't know what, I don't know what Melbourne's goal is. I don't know what we're going to be doing. So. Mm. Yeah. Strange. So how do you feel for your mental health while you're in lockdown? Has it affected you? Oh my God. Yeah. Like this lockdown has been really hard. I say, I feel like I say that every lockdown though. Like I'm like, this one's really hit home, but I look <laughs> back on the other ones and I'm like, well, yeah, but my mental health wasn't doing great that time either. So like the first lockdown was bad for my mental health because my marriage was falling apart. Second lockdown was bad for my mental health because my marriage fell apart. I had to move out and, um, it just like lockdown just continued, just never ended. So it was really stressful. And then um, the third lockdown was rough because my boyfriend was away and he was out of contact. So I was just like the first lockdown fully alone, couldn't even call him. That was a tough one. And then the next one was rough. And this one has been rough because my, I've got chronic illnesses and they've really flared up and um, made me bedridden. So like, yeah. Every time I'm like, yeah, this one's been rough, but no, they've all been rough. And uh, I'm, yeah. So chronic. I'm Lincoln parking, you know, I'm like one step closer <laughs> to the edge. Yeah. So that's a good, I haven't heard that one. <laughs> I'll let you claim that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. So I have Hashimoto's disease, which is a thyroid condition. Oh. And um, I also have cirrhotic arthritis, which is arthritis uh, brought on by psoriasis very rare. I think well, it's not that rare. It's just like, no one really knows about it. So, um, both of those can really affect me. I can get chronic fatigue and also my joints can flare up and I can be bedridden. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been rough and it's been hard being like a young person and, you know, being unwell. Yeah. So that Can they do it. anything for the thyroid? You know, it's interesting because uh, I, I find that every time I mention I have like a thyroid condition, people are like, oh, I didn't even know what the thyroid is. And I'm like, you lucky motherfucker. Yeah. Um, because it is such a tricky condition to have because your thyroid, it, it's hormones and it's, they're just forever changing. So I was diagnosed when I was 14. And even though there is like hormone replacement therapy, therapy for the thyroid, um, I've never had my condition be properly handled. Like it just changes all the time depending on so many different elements of your life. And so I've never really had it under control, but this time I really reached my breaking point. And um, like last week, I just, I feel like I had a breakdown every single day and I've just decided that I have to take a holistic approach to my health in order for it to better my mental health. And so I'm now just doing everything that I can to within my power outside of just using medication to try and really be better for myself because, um, yeah, I just keep running myself into the ground and something has to change. So definitely. Mm. And so what do you do for a full-time job? You are a comedian and mm-hmm. you've got a couple of podcasts, but is that your full-time gig? No, I don't really do anything for a full-time gig. Like I, 
I'm an executive assistant, but not really. <laughs> like, <laughs> I work about one day a week. I have a really chill boss. And also in lockdown, I'm sort of just like working from home, which means sort of just like opening up my computer for one day and working like three hours. Um, so I feel like I just do nothing at the moment. Like it's this really weird point where I'm like, yeah, I'm a comedian, but I haven't been on stage for like months. And, uh, you know, like it's, it's such a strange time to identify as something that you can't do really. Fair yeah. Enough. But I mean, your Instagram stories are funny. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. But at the same time, then it's like some, like when you're in lockdown, it's really frustrating because like Instagram is, I guess, sort of my job, right? Like you've got to have a presence online. But then when your mental health is really waning, it's so hard to get on the camera and be funny. And so you don't, and then you just feel shit about yourself because you're like, I'm not doing my job, quote unquote. And then people start damning you being like, where are you? And you're like, ah, so it's, um, Instagram stresses me out to be honest. So yeah. It's a cycle, eh? Oh my God. It's so frustrating. And people like, like Instagram punishes you if you're not active enough. Oh, like no. if you're not active, they're just like, fine, fuck you. We're taking away <laughs> all of your analytics, like blah, yeah. blah, blah. It's just really frustrating. It's it's a stressful time. So were you one of those people growing up who everyone said was funny and you should be a comedian or you should do comedy or did you evolve into that later on in life? Yeah. Uh, no, I've always been funny. That's <laughs> me. Yeah, no, I'm hilarious. Uh, no. Yeah, Love I was the always. confidence though. Oh, yeah. I was always confident and always uh, entertaining people, really, like from a very young age, like age three, let's say, like always on stage, always with a mic in my hand. And uh, yeah, but that was sort of just my thing, I guess, being like the funny one. And uh, it wasn't until I got a bit older that I was like, oh, you know, I kind of don't want to just do a nine to five job anymore. What do I want to do? And I sort of just thought of like, I thought maybe I could be a radio personality because that seems like a pretty chill gig. And so that's how I sort of got into doing comedy because I just decided like that was my goal to do radio, which bless my heart. That's <laughs> such a huge goal to have like, and such a very difficult to attain career. Um, so yeah, I've sort of fallen into doing stand-up comedy, which actually is the thing I've always wanted to do. Like that would, would be my dream. I just didn't think I could. So it's crazy to me that I've sort of fallen ass backwards into the career that I wanted. And I, yeah, it blows my mind that I get to do this, honestly. That's awesome. Is, is it hard to like put yourself out there on stage? Because it's quite risky, eh? Like if no one laughs or you're putting yourself um, out there, aren't you? Yeah, but I'm funny. So no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it passes you know what? the Bianca test. <laughs> it actually is very stressful, but I uh, am very lucky in the sense, like I don't think I would be able to do comedy had I gone the traditional route of like just doing, you know, five minute spots at open mics and working my way up. Like I actually don't think I could do it because yeah, I think I, I would be crushed if I got up on stage and people didn't laugh. That would destroy me. However, uh, because I've started getting into it by already having um, listeners through a podcast and already having fans who already understand my sense of humor. I've been able to just sort of get up on stage to an audience that already knows me and it makes it a lot easier for me. So, uh, I'm very, very lucky in that regard because, uh, yeah, it is risky. I, my hat, I give my hat off to people, uh, who just get up there and do it. It's fucking crazy. I don't know how people do it. Like, I feel like I'm not that brave to be honest, because I think I kind of 
Like I am funny. I mean, I do a good job when I'm up there, but I think I've just had it a bit easier. It's been within my comfort zone, you know? Yeah. Well, hopefully when this lockdown finishes, you can get back up on stage. And Yeah, fuck, I hope so. Yeah. So um, going back to mental health, like I've just listened to your one of your podcasts um, where you do talk about your own journey. And would would you say the catalyst for you was being getting sober? Was that like your the the true Bianca moment? That was everything, yeah. Getting sober, which was over two years ago now. Uh, was Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Um, was absolutely the catalyst for every everything in my life. Uh, because I think when you're drinking, it's really easy to have this like escape. And even at the time, I didn't think it was an escape, right? Like I look back on it now, I'm like, that, that bitch was escaping. But at the <laughs> time, I just thought I was this fun party gal and even though I wasn't having fun because alcohol was really affecting my mental health. And once you get sober, you sort of really don't have anywhere to hide and you have to sort of just face up to the things that don't make you happy, face up to, you know, I I don't know. I think like you just sort of accept your life uh, a certain way when you're drinking because you Mm. also don't have a lot of confidence in yourself you don't have a lot of self-belief. You don't think you're very worthy of a good life. So you're sort of just drinking. And then when you get sober, you're like, hey, no, I deserve better than this. And I want better for myself. And yeah, getting sober is just this like really intense journey. And, you know, I'm only two years in and already I've learned so much about myself. My life has changed so much. And I have a friend that's like six years in and she's like, oh, wait till you get, like when you hit the four-year mark, then you really learn who you are. I'm like, what? Like, how am I not there yet? But it's, it, you just keep unraveling layers of yourself and you're confident in yourself enough, I guess, to sort of handle it. So yeah, it's, it's just such a journey, but yes, everything started by getting sober for sure. And were you a binge drinker or like a daily drinker or both? Or what was your... Like I was both. Like I, I, I didn't drink every single day, but I did drink at least four days of the week. I guess I was a binge drinker in the sense that like I never just had one, but like, cause I think more than two standard drinks is considered a binge. So yeah, um, I definitely, if I was to drink, I would always have more than one, but um, most times that I drank, she was drinking a lot, you know? Um, So yeah, but at the time I didn't really think, I really thought I had a handle on my drinking and I didn't, but you, you sort of just surround yourself with other people that also drink as much as you. So your drinking doesn't really stand out as being bad. Cause you're like, everyone around me does the same thing. This is completely normal. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it was binging, but it was binging more often than what I think people consider binge drinking. So yeah, I was, I was a drinker. Yeah. Did you have to get help or just cold turkey? Yeah, I sort of cold turkeyed it. Like I raw dogged it. It was weird <laughs> because like um, like my husband at the time, he told me um, that he didn't like me drinking. Um, and I was shocked because I did not realize I had any faults. So that was news to me to find out that I wasn't perfect. Uh, but then, um, so at that, once he told me that I was like, yes, wait, okay, no worries. I'll stop drinking as much. But then I sort of realized I couldn't, right? Like I, I started to have this really negative relationship with alcohol because I didn't want to drink as much as I was drinking, but I couldn't stop myself. And, um, that's when the shame really hit 
And it was about a year of me trying to like moderate and then me having these like blackouts and just, it was a really, really dark time. And uh, yeah, I sort of just thought, I thought I was the only person, right? I thought that I had this issue that everyone around me could handle their drinking and that alcohol is just normal things. Like why can't I drink like a normal person? And I said, I saw this book, right? Like um, by Annie Grace and it's called This Naked Mind and it's like control alcohol. And I saw it and I was like, I'm going to get that book, but I can't buy it right now because I wasted all my money at the pub last night. But <laughs> when I have money, I'm going to buy that book. And yeah, I just, you know, I, I woke up one day and I, I'd gone to the pub the day before and I didn't even want to go. And my friends were like, let's go to the pub. And I, I went and I was sitting there drinking this beer and I was looking at it being like, I don't even want this beer, right? Like, I don't even want this. And the next day I woke up so hungover because I ended up staying at the pub all night. Don't remember how I got home. And I just woke up the next day and I was like, what the fuck? Like, I didn't even want to be there. I didn't even want that beer. Like, what the fuck is wrong with me? And I thought of that book and I downloaded it to my Kindle and I read it within two days and I never touched alcohol again. And, and it's, and when I started, when I picked up the book, I didn't pick it up thinking this book's going to make me sober. The book said control alcohol. So I thought like, oh, I'll learn how to just stop it too. Like I'll really finally learn how to moderate, but that wasn't the case. It literally was just like, yeah, if you want to control alcohol, um, the best way is to not drink it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I never went into it thinking I would be sober, but, um, Oh, it just really gave me the tools. Yeah, it just it taught me that I could not drink and have a good life. And that was an option I never thought was possible. So yeah, it was such a freeing and liberating book and I've never looked back. Well, that's awesome. I will put the link in the show notes for that one. Yeah, yeah. I recommend it to everyone. I've bought so many people that book as a Christmas gift. Like you have no idea. It's, yeah. It's, <laughs> well, because in your podcast, Damsel Under Stress, episode two, mm-hmm. uh, when you go into that pretty detailed account. Uh, you also say that drinking led to other things which you couldn't, and you couldn't trust yourself, which is the main, the main takeaway I got. I just couldn't trust myself on it. Yeah. And it led to other things mm-hmm. like cocaine. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that experience? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I never really did drugs uh, ever. Like I, I think I smoked my first joint when I was like 18. Uh, I was, I just, I really was like so against drugs, which I drank like from the age of like 14, like what up dog. But I <laughs> didn't want to touch drugs. Cause like in my mind, I was like, no drugs are bad, but like, you know, alcohol is arguably on the harm scale, the worst drug you can take, but like, yeah. I'm not here to talk about that. Yeah. Whatever. Um, so I, I really wasn't into drugs. Like alcohol was my thing. And then when I moved to Melbourne, everyone was like, you know, Melbourne's so great for drug experimentation. I'm not, you're going to have such a good time. And I was like, drugs. I literally just, I was like, I thought we were just like going to go to the footy and eat dumplings. Like no one told me that like I would be doing drugs and I didn't think I would. And then, you know, I get to Melbourne and like, holy shit, everyone does cocaine. It's everywhere. I could not believe I thought cocaine was like only in Martin Scorsese movies. I did not know yeah. that it was like so readily available, um, particularly because it's so expensive. What the fuck? Like who? <laughs> it's, it is the most over-glamorized, like stupidest drug. I, I can't believe people spend so much money on it. It's ridiculous. But um, anyway, so yeah, anyway, I started doing cocaine and um, yeah, I, I kept getting it for free, by the way, because like I could not afford to do it. And that's a dangerous place to be when you can just do it for free. So it sort of seems like this harmless thing to do. 
And then, um, yeah, you know, I was waking up, like waking up, sort of sobering up in a drug den. Um, mm. I went on this like huge binge once and I, I had track marks in my arms from injecting cocaine into my veins. And I, yeah, I, um, that was definitely a really low point. And I was just like, whoa, like how did I get here? Like I kept being like, no, I'm better than this. Like I shouldn't be here. And like in some ways, yeah, you are, you know, you, you sort of have your life together is what I was saying. You know, like I remember at one point coming to in the drug den and when you say and drug den, was, you mean a fucking drug. <laughs> yeah. <it's- laughs> you know, people say like they'll refer to say like a shed as a dungeon. They're like, yeah. oh, in the dungeon. And it's like, yeah, it's not really a dungeon, but they just like over exaggerate it. Yeah. No, this was a literal fucking drug den. Like uh, at like 6 a.m., I remember the one of the drug dealers was like, oh, everyone will be coming around for breakfast now. And I was like, what? And yeah, literally like everyone was just flooding to the drug den to get their heroin or their ice at six in the morning. Cause apparently like, that's a thing I didn't, I was, I learned a lot about drug culture. Um, but yeah, I remember like coming to at the drug den and people were passing around, um, um, uh, a crack pipe. Yeah. And they offered me something. I was like, no, thanks. Um, I'm good on, I'm good on meth. Thanks. But, um, you know, they're passing it around and I just remember like they were, and they were talking about how, you know, like they just, one of them had just gotten out of rehab and like, they were talking about how they'd all been in the same rehab and, and stuff. And I was like, well, what am I doing here? Like, I've got to go to work tomorrow and I have like a nine to five job. And, you know, like I come from like a quote unquote good family. Like, you know, I just like was, was like, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. And I'm like, no, literally like this, any, this can happen to you. Like you're at a fucking drug den because you have been put, you've put yourself here because you fucking love cocaine and you injected your arm with cocaine many, many times. Like, what are you doing? This could easily be your life. Like you are here because you fucking put yourself here. And I was just like, I can't do this. Like I've got to get the fuck out of here. Um, it was a really sobering quote unquote sobering experience, but it, um, it it was the hardest thing to get over. I was so shrouded in shame after that binge. And um, I don't think I ever really got over it until I did that podcast episode. I didn't realize how much I was holding on to it. Like, I feel like I had a come down that lasted two years and I couldn't like, like sometimes I would just think about needles going into my skin and I would feel sick. And yeah, it was fucked. It was so fucked up. And I'm just, I'm glad I got out of there. And I'm glad that I um, walked away from that. But did you even yeah, was, know those people, or was that just like being drunk and on coke, and they invited you back? Or no, you know, it was a it was a really weird experience where my friend had met this drug dealer completely by chance. She didn't know him as a drug dealer, and she let him. He asked to borrow her phone, and she was like, "Yeah, sure, no worries." And he borrowed her phone for something placed a bet or something. And then he won like 20 grand and he was like, thank you so much. Here's a thousand dollars. Like, cause you were the only person that would lend me a phone. And she was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. No rights. And then he was like, here's my number. Like, you know, I'm going to um, take you out for dinner. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway. So she meets this drug dealer guy. And I think he felt like he owed her cause she'd been so nice to him by letting him use her phone. So he was just like this guy that was around all the time. Like I see now that like, yeah. 
drug dealers like yeah. <laughs> that that's their MO, They're right? Like they don't Yeah, they don't have they use drugs to make friends and and stuff. So anyway, yeah, I knew that guy and that's how I ended up there, but um yeah. Cuz he gave you a word of advice too, didn't he? No, a different guy did. His friend did. So his friend was his roommate was also a drug dealer, go figure. And at, at after the um after I was leaving, his friend got in the um in the cab with me and he was like I never want to see you here again. He was like you are better than this and you're not welcome back here because like you you should be doing more with your life. And I was like, you know, I was, I felt so shit about myself, like leaving at like 4 PM. I haven't slept yet. Like, I feel like so terrible. And then this drug dealer's there being like, you deserve better. You should be doing more with your life. And I'm like, yeah, I fucking know, man. Like you don't need to tell me But yeah. Shit. Yeah. Totally up to you whether you want to talk about it, but you mentioned about the, the tragedy, yeah. the, traumatic experience you experienced in that drug den. Yeah. That you only yeah, just yeah. you only just revealed to the on your podcast. That's the first time we've ever spoken openly about it. But Oh, know. it was the first time I'd even admitted it to myself. Like I was sexually assaulted. And I, I just shut it down. Like I just closed in on myself. And I, I recorded that entire episode of Damsel Under Stress without even mentioning it, right? Like I was, it was ready to go. I was ready to do it. And I was in my shower and I just had this like realization moment that like, oh my God, you were sexually assaulted. Like, it's like, I knew about it. I knew it happened, but I just didn't want to admit it to myself or something. Like, I don't even, I don't even know. And then I just had this moment and I started crying and I just got back on the mic and I was like, you know what? fuck it. I'm just going to, if I'm going to be honest about this experience, I'm going to be fully honest about it. And so I just sort of like chucked that bit in. Wow. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was sort of through, you know, actually, I, I don't, I don't know. I, releasing that episode um, was a really liberating thing for me because I had held on to that shame for for years. Like I thought it was the absolute worst thing that had ever happened to me. Um, I, th- I thought it made me a really bad person. I was just mortified by it. And uh, I, it was like this skeleton in my closet that I was so afraid of. And it had all this power over me. It really did. And so I was just like, no, like I'm just going to come out with it and let everyone know about it and they can either judge me for it or whatever, but like, fuck this, I'm just getting it out. And um, such a such a healing experience, honestly, because so many people were like, you've just said what happened to me. Like that's yeah. the exact same thing as you. And um, it just like connected me to so many people that had had experiences just like mine. And it it was, yeah, it was so good for my mental health. Um, and then also it was really good for other people. I, you know, people were like, thank you for, you know, letting me know it gets better or just being so honest, making me feel less alone. Like it was a really healing experience. And now that it's out there as well, I'm not like ashamed of it, yeah. I guess. I'm not like worried that someone's going to find out about it and, you know, it's going to get blasted all over the daily mail, um, you know. Um, so yeah, it was, um, it was a really good experience for me to just get it out of the way. Yeah, and then you were saying that 
like for years you had that come down and the shame you felt and you didn't feel, you thought you would love yourself, but you didn't, you didn't have self-love. And it was around that time that you did meet your then husband who mm-hmm. loved you. And you talk about this experience of being validated and needing that validation and think, well, hang on, I can be loved and maybe I'll just, I will do the thing and get married and, you know. Yeah. Oh, totally. Well, you are advocating for women out there to not need a man to be validated. Love yourself. Yeah. And to break some of those stigmas down, but. Oh, totally. I think because. You know, like I think actually so many women do, uh, and, and men, I, I guess, but mostly women, um, we do look for a partner to validate us. And uh, we do, like, I guess for me, I can really see on the timeline, like, holy shit, I met him at the exact same time that I was going through like the worst. And I even remember when he messaged me and he was like, oh, I'm so, like, I got home from the drug den that day. And I was in the shower, just looking down at the track marks in my arms. And I get this message from this guy that I just met who ended up becoming my husband, but he messaged me and he was like, oh, I can't stop thinking about you. Like, you know, my world is fucked now because like, you know, I just want you. And I was like, run away. Like, yeah, I'm a terrible person. Like, get the fuck out. And he was like, no, like, you're not you know, you just went on a drug binge. Like, is it that bad? Like he was just so uh, accepting of me in that moment. And I just remember like being like, holy shit, if he can love me at this point, like, you know, I guess I just really held on to that feeling because it was the only scrap of love I could have at that time. And so, yeah, like he, and he is a really wonderful person, but I can see now that I was really expecting him to, validate me beyond the capabilities that a person can validate me and um because no one can validate you but yourself and so I think though like for my situation it's really easy to see that on the timeline and be like yeah okay like I was looking for validation with him but so many people actually do do that they expect their partner to validate them they look for a relationship they they think marriage is gonna validate them make them worthy etc um but maybe just not on such a grand scale it's not so easy to point the finger and be like yeah no like this event happened and that's why you feel this way and blah 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 so i do just want people to realize that like you know that's not going to fucking validate you and and even since that episode came out it's interesting because i actually have been on other podcasts where they've been like you said you didn't love yourself and now you do and i'm like since that episode came yeah. out yeah. I've had even more revelations of realizing that like I still have such a fucking far way to go when it comes to self-love. Um, but the things that I'm learning the most is that like it just cannot come from anyone or anything outside of who I am. Like it's it's not who I it's not what I do, it's not how I dress, it's not how much money I have. Like it's it's who I am on the inside. And you know, if 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 everything that I had today was taken away from me like would I still feel validated and yes like I would but it's taking me a really long time to get there and I'm still like a bit shaky on the answer there but yeah like there's so much more outside of yourself and I just don't think um I just I just don't think it's going to come from marriage the show will return after this quick break 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I think it's a great uh, point you bring out. You're going to be there forever, so you may as well rely on yourself. And who's going to have your back in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years? It's you. Yeah. So you may as well love yourself. And look, everybody says they love themselves. Well, some people say they don't, but. Yeah. Re- like, <laughs> you can't love other people until you love yourself. And No. And you also can't, you can't, like, your brain is so good at tricking you. Like, your brain is so good at making you think that like everything's fine and your brain is really, or your brain is really good at telling you that you're a terrible person. Like your brain plays tricks on you. It's up to you to literally like pull apart who you are um, to get to those juicy layers underneath and to really know who you are. And once you know who you are, you understand who you are, you can love yourself, but it's not an easy road. It is not like I used to have this fake way of being like, yeah, I love myself. Cause like, I'm just like a boss bitch. And I'm like, <laughs> so out there, but like, that was such a fake um, version. But I, I thought I, I genuinely authentically really did think like, I love myself, but now I'm really coming to a point where I'm like, no, like loving yourself means being like fucking vulnerable and admitting that like, you're not perfect and being really fucking brutally honest with yourself and it's hard it's really hard work but at the end of the day yeah I'm the only person guaranteed that's going to be in my life forever like my mum I can't even count on my mum you know because like she's much older than me so like you know there's going to be a time where I probably will have to live without her like there's literally no one pets you can't even rely on your pet babe like your pet is probably going you're going to outlive your pet so like there's literally no one that you can be like yep that's the person I've got forever because nothing is guaranteed in this life but the only thing you know is that you're going to be around for as long as you're around so you've got to get really fucking comfortable with who you are because that's the one guarantee you have well said and also, not just the expectation of people to get married, but it's also those people who think that the marriage is going to fix their relationship. Oh, we're going a bit stale, so let's just get engaged and see how that goes, or let's have a baby and see if that brings things up. Oh, have a, get engaged if that's what you want to do. Fine. Don't have a baby, okay, because you're really dragging someone else into this that need not be dragged in. Like, if that's not... A Band-Aid baby is not the way out. Like... And I do understand, I understand why people do do that because it's so scary, I think, when you're in a long-term relationship and things aren't going well and then you think like, oh God, but I have to leave the relationship. Um, like that's not an option. So like maybe we'll get married and that will make us feel good. And it probably does at the time because it's exciting and you're like, yay, this is happening and it's all going to be good from now on and it's roses. But at the end of the day, like that's the issue with using a relationship to validate mm-hmm. you because the fear of leaving it um, means that you're you're not going to be validated anymore. So you just sort of go along with a less than ideal situation just because you don't know how to exist outside of that relationship. When you got sober, is that when you decided that your marriage wasn't for you or wasn't going to work? No. No, I thought it was going to work. I thought I really, I really like, I did, I did love him. And I do think he's a great person. Um, but as I said, like your sober journey is a long one. And so um, 
you know, it takes you some time to really come into your shell and to really figure out who you are and what you want. And, uh, yeah, so at, at first everything was great, but lockdown happened. And I think lockdown is when you're in a relationship uh, in in the real world, in the normal world, not in Melbourne, uh, you're you're a, it, you you might not be in a happy relationship, but there's so many distractions that you're able to be like, no, this is fine. But I think when you're stuck inside a house with someone and you can't leave, that's when you sort of really recognize that, like, maybe this, maybe that. Maybe this isn't the right person for me. So, um, yeah, lockdown sort of what brought it on. Um, and also, yeah, I I saw a therapist online at that time and, you know, I'm talking to her about my, uh, my relationship and how I was, you know, sort of really taking care of my husband and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, like I, I'm sober now and all of this. And she was just like, I think you're codependent. Have you heard of codependency? And I was like, no, I've never heard of codependency. And she was like, I want you to read this book, like check this book out. And I started reading this book and I was like, oh, holy shit, I am a codependent person, right? Like, and codependents generally have really low self-worth and they look for others to validate them. And then they let people sort of walk all over them and treat them like shit. Um, But they keep trying to serve that person and just be like so selflessly like, like a saint almost, like never saying a bad word and um, just letting people ask the world of them and them delivering it um, because they think that that's how they can be worthy and valued. But then what happens is they get so frustrated by being so nice that they end up snapping. And so I realized all of this. I was like, holy shit. And um, yeah, so realizing that meant that I had to start setting boundaries. I've had to start you know, not being so selfless, like not doing things I don't want to just because I think it will serve another person. And just by doing that, you know, the the saying that the only people that get mad when you set a boundary are the people who benefited from you having none in the first place. Well, I've started setting boundaries and yeah, some people didn't like it. And yeah, I've lost, I've lost friends. I've lost my relationship. You know, my marriage didn't um, continue because, yeah, once I started being like, oh, hey, actually, I kind of like want this for myself. Everyone was like, hey, who the fuck do you think you are? We liked it better when you were like this. And so, yeah, I've lost people. But the but the people that have been able to deal with my boundaries are the people that have stuck around and they're the people that are worth having around. So it's, you know, the the bad ones go and the good ones stay. Mm-hmm. You're quite open on Instagram about being bisexual. Was that something that you've always known or did that just? I had no idea. I never, I didn't even have a, I didn't even think I had sex. Like, I mean, I did have sex, but I wasn't like sexually open to it, I guess. Like I was so sexually repressed um, within myself and I, I'm trying actively trying to unpack where that came from. Like, why am I so shrouded in shame all the time around sex? And I think it's a lot to do with the era that I grew up in. Um, You know, like I feel like the the generation now, sex is a lot more open and celebrated. But back in my day, you know, the slut shaming was, it was high. And yeah, I think I was just like really ashamed of being 
of like having sexual feelings, ashamed of my sexual energy. And I also just didn't really enjoy sex because I was always drunk. Like I, I, I didn't want to be sexual because that was, I guess I'm ashamed of my sexual energy. So for me to be vulnerable enough to share it, I needed to be drunk to do so. And then I would almost only ever have sex when I was drunk. And so it would always be really sloppy and alcohol inhibits your ability to orgasm. So the sex was never really good. And then I would wake up the next day hungover, feeling shit about myself and having all this shame. And then that was the only time I really had sex. So like sex and shame were just like, it was like, it's a big fucking mess. So, um, for me now, like, you know, I met my boyfriend and we have a really great sex life. We're in an open relationship. So, you know, we've been quite explorative in that. And I've started sleeping yeah, with women, like with him, we were having, you know, like group sex and stuff. And I was like, yeah, this is fun. This is cool. And I've just like started to open myself up and yeah, now I'm like sleeping with women just like one-on-one. I realized like, oh, holy shit, I'm bisexual. And like, so it's like this crazy thing to find out that like, not only am I good at sex and I enjoy sex, oh, holy shit. I'm also bisexual, which like, is just mind blowing to me. But yeah, there's like this whole sexual person, this sexual being inside of me that I had for the last 15 years of my life completely shut down. And I was living such a um, repressed life that I didn't even know I was bi. So yeah, it's pretty crazy. So you're just working through that, whatever that cause was to begin with or what that shame came from. You think maybe it was the area that you grew up in, but I think it's really powerful that you can with all your followers on Instagram that you can get up there and say all those things and you, you're quite open about <laughs> that one post where you're in the shower with mascara <laughs> running down and you're like, how's lockdown been? Oh, yeah, just masturbating in the shower. <laughs> yeah, just masturbating and crying in the shower. Um, yeah, I I didn't realize that it was such an open thing to talk about. Like I didn't know so many women struggle with – I understood women struggled with sex, but women struggle with masturbation too, which is – you know, like that's how much we've been shamed about our sexuality, that women are ashamed to masturbate where I'm like, babe, no one's going to know. Like you don't like, yeah, I get on Instagram and tell everyone, but like, you don't have to, it's completely by yourself. But women are that ashamed of their sexuality and having sexual energy and having sexual desire that they won't even act on it in the privacy of their own fucking bedroom because of how bad, like how much they've been guilted about it. So there is so much stigma around female pleasure that, yeah, that's why I'm so vocal about it. And particularly because I did live a very sexually repressed life. Like I had a podcast episode many years ago talking about like how I have no libido and how I just like, I don't know, like I'm not a sexual person and I just wish that was more accepted. Like, no, you were just having bad sex and you didn't know who you were. And now that I'm like liberated and I'm like, wow, like I can have a foursome. So can you, babe. Like anyone can do it. So yeah. Um, With masks on. Socially. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, yeah. Let's just take a second to acknowledge the elephant in the room. I said masks. What's that? It's masks. I couldn't say that word again if I tried, but yeah, there you go. It was masks. Wearing masks, not masks. With a mask, yeah. No, I'm not having any possums now. Okay, like I don't <laughs> get Andrews to come for me. Um, we we had I had like there were two foursomes lined up that had to be cancelled due to lockdown. So yeah, like I'm being responsible. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. If I can do it, anyone can do it because I literally struggled to have sex with like my partner at one point. So yeah, like it's it's uh it's possible for anyone. So what are your mental health 
struggles? Anxiety, depression? Well, uh, yeah, good question. I didn't think I had any. Like, it's the irony that I'm like, yeah, no, I don't have any mental health problems because like, I clearly do. I talk about like being codependent. I'm sober now. Like there are so many things, but I think um, like I've never really had clinical depression. I've never, I don't have anxiety Um, and anxiety sounds fucking awful. So I genuinely, yeah, I can't speak for anxiety, but I have had really low low moods. I actually was in a counseling session like last week and um, <laughs> the the therapist said something to my partner and was like, oh, you know, because of her depression. And I was like, wait, my, wait, who in this room is depressed? Is it me? Am I the depressed one? Um, but yeah, I was at that point so low and I just, I hadn't, I, yeah, I was lying to myself, I guess, about the fact that I was so down. But um, yeah, I think for me, what what has happened is I've been incredibly pissed off at my own self because my body, as I said, with my chronic illnesses, my body does have limitations on what I can do. And I think for a really long time, I just didn't want to admit that. And so I've just been ignoring it and acting like I'm fine and I can do whatever I want. And I've just been running myself into the ground and then getting to a point where yeah, I can't get out of bed for a few days. And then I'd get really pissed off at my body. And um, yeah, that was really causing my mental health to suffer. And I I was just at breaking point. And I've just had to, yeah, decide. Acceptance has basically been the key for me to just be like, okay, I accept where my body's at and I'm now going to work with it instead of against it. And that has been really beneficial for my mental health because I'm not burning myself out and so, yeah, like this has been a really good week for me compared to last week. Um, but yeah, so I guess that's what I deal with is just sort of like trying to deal with my physical body um, so it doesn't affect my mental health. And I guess the substance abuse, like alcohol and cocaine would have been. <laughs> that didn't help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it definitely doesn't. It's just you the know. endless cycle, isn't it? Because like you feel hungover and then you feel like shit, feel shamed. Yeah. And also like the thing is with alcohol, that's really, really shit is that no one talks about the shitness. Like we talk about the hangovers. Yeah. We're like, oh my God, I was so unwell, but we don't talk about the effect it has on our mental health. Like I would wake up the day after drinking and I would like throw my phone away. Like I don't want to fucking see what I posted on my Instagram. Like I delete all of my Instagram posts. Like that's the first thing, like delete that close my phone. Don't want to, no one call me. I don't want to look at any messages. I just assume everyone's mad at me. And I would just sit on my couch and like cry. My mental health was like so bad. I was just shrouded in shame. Like there was just like, I would, I just felt like the biggest piece of shit. And I thought I was the only one. Like I just thought like everyone else can just get up and like, they're a bit nauseous, but they're not dealing with like the mental health biz, like shit that I'm dealing with. No, Alcohol literally does that to like everyone. It actually creates a chemical storm in your brain that creates like an anxiety storm. So it's actually a very normal thing. And that was one of the things in my, uh, in that book that I read, she started describing like her, she'd wake up at 3am and be like, oh, I can't believe you did this again. Why did you pick up the drink? Like you shouldn't have done that. And then, you know, she'd be like, I'm not going to drink today. And then at like 3pm the next day, she would be like, oh, well, like maybe one and like the cycle would just continue. Yeah. And I was like, oh, 
this could literally be me. Like I, I couldn't believe it. And so I guess when I figured out that like, Hey, it's not me, it's not something wrong with me. It's actually a problem with the substance. It's fucking self. Like alcohol does this to everyone. No one's fucking talking about it though. I was like, well, then I don't want it. Like there's no way to have it. That's not going to make me feel this way. So why the fuck would I keep having it? But we only ever talk about how great it is. Like get on the beers and you know, no one's talking about the negative side effects, but so many people are having them. And that was one of the things when I got sober, this shockingly huge amount of people in my life that I thought were going to judge me for giving up alcohol. They were the ones sliding into my DMs being like, Hey, how did you do it? Cause I want to get on that shit too. Like I want to be sober. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Like, crazy. No, you're definitely not alone. I mean, I find myself in those same patterns as well. Like it's so easy to come home, grab a cold beer and, you know, I've got three kids, so it's like unwinding time and then one becomes two and two becomes three, three becomes four. Mm-hmm. And then you got to get up and go to work. And yeah, I mean, and then the next day you're like, yeah, I'm not going to have one today, but mm, there's those cold beers again. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, you're not alone. I did the same thing. So Yeah, it's fucked. I mean, yeah, it's hard. And you know, it's, it's funny you say that because like I, I used to just like on a Friday, like I'd be like, yes, like work's Getting finished. Thirsty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like, and it's weird as well. Cause I would, I would only drink on days where I didn't work and I only work like three days a week. So like Monday night, Tuesday night and Wednesday night, I was like, not going to drink cause I don't want to be sick the next day. Cause my hangovers were getting to the point that like, babe, I could not like two wines and I'd be like affected the next day. So I was like, yeah, no, I'm just going to only drink. Like I wouldn't drink on those days and I was fine. I would, I understood that I wasn't going to drink and it was fine. But like on a Thursday, I knew that I didn't have work the next day and I would be like itching at like midday. I'm like, You'd be oh, making up for it in the drink. Yeah. And it's just like such a psychological thing that like, oh, I've got to top the week off with that beer. I've got to have that beer. And so when I got sober, I would always have non-alcoholic beers on hand just so I could like, you know, still have that yeah. ritual of like knocking off the work day. But like, I haven't done that in, well, I haven't worked a full fucking week because of lockdown, <laughs> but like I, I, have ne- I never really feel the need to like top off something. Like it's interesting how much we um, think of alcohol in a situation and we're like, well, I need that drink. It's like, um, you know, going to the footy. So, so many people think of the footy and they think, oh, I'm going to have that beer. Um, and I used to think about that. I used to go to the netball and I was like, well, what am I going to do when I go to the netball? Because like, I can't just sit there and watch the game without a yeah. cold bunker in my hand. Like, what am I going to do? And then after a while, you're just like, oh yeah, no, it's the activity itself that I'm enjoying. The alcohol yeah. is not it. And so, yeah, I don't even need to have like a substitute anymore. I, I did for a while, but now you're just like, no, I don't even associate that activity with alcohol. But um, yeah, like you just, after a while, you just start to be more present and appreciative of the moment itself as opposed to what's in your hand. So what do you think for you has been the best uh, treatment, whether it's clinical or non-clinical, what's been the best for you? Uh, well. That book? Sobriety. Yeah, that book. And also um, inner child work has oh. been a really, um, that's been a new thing for me. But doing inner child work and really um, coming to terms with why I behave the way that I behave uh, in some in some certain certain circumstances, um, realizing what my triggers are, and um, healing past trauma 
that's been the biggest thing for me. And that is a really, it's a really hard, (laughs) it's a really long and hard journey, like doing shadow work and all of that sort of stuff. So is that something you do by yourself or do you have to go somewhere? Well, I was really lucky in the sense that like my boyfriend is so into that stuff. Like he's so into it. And I remember when I first met him, he was talking to me about, you know, like how he uncovers all these layers. And I was like, keep that to yourself. (laughs) Interested. And like, I remember even like him saying something about childhood trauma or something. And I was like, well, I have none. And he was like, that's very unusual. I'm like, yeah, well, I had a really chill childhood and I have no issues. Everything is resolved in my life. I'm fine. Um, And then, you know, like just being around him and hearing him talk and learning from him, I was sort of like, okay, like, well, maybe, maybe there is this thing in me. Like, I don't know what that is. Anyway, um, I had someone reach out to me and offer me like a course. Um, and I was like, yeah, okay, look, I'll, I'll do this course online. And it was like a manifestation course. And it's all about like, you know, getting in touch with who you are on the inside and unlocking your subconscious, et cetera, et cetera. And I'd done some work with my subconscious in the past. So I was like, fuck yeah, I'm really into this. But yeah, it was all about like inner child work and holy shit. Like it was, I was crying, like just bawling my eyes out because I'm like, oh my God, I didn't realize like how hurt I've been on the inside, like how sad and lonely and all these issues that were inside of me that I've just been like doing such a good job of repressing and ignoring um, and, and healing that part of me and that, that little child inside of me. Um, that's been like the biggest sort of like mind blow moment because um, that's cool. yeah, like, you know, I didn't like people always ask me like, well, why did you drink? Like you must've been like hiding from something. And I'm like, no, I just enjoyed it. Like, but now I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. No, there were definitely reasons. Like right. I was sad. There were issues. Like everyone has that. It doesn't matter how good your childhood was. There's always some things in there that um, you're hurting from. And, and when you start to uncover that, you also start to realize like, oh, that's why I behave this way in this situation. And you just become so much more aware of like what's going on inside of you. And that has been ultimately the best thing I've done because um, I can sort of trace back where things come from. And I'm sort of like healing a lifetime worth of trauma in a way. Um, So yeah, that's hands down been the most intense but rewarding thing I've done. Well, I've never even heard of that. So inner child therapy, is that like a guided meditation? Yeah. So it's, there's different ways you can sort of do it, but like the way that uh, you're like, yes, a guided meditation is probably the best way to get in touch with it. But basically if you want to, and if you're interested in it, um, I guess the best thing to do is sort of embrace your inner child. So think about yourself when you were like three or four and also really think about like that because your inner child is actually a part of you. Like you've got to, to sort of accept the fact that they're like, they're in there and they're a real child like they're a real person that exists inside of you. And when you start to think about that child, you want to be the person to protect it. Like you want to be the one that's taking care of it. And if it helps you like get a photo of you when you were like three or four and just like look at it every day and like talk to your inner child and that inner child will start to open up to you. And when you think about that, yeah, you do guided meditations, like you play with your inner child and stuff. And I think just it, it helps you and allows you to sort of unlock exactly how you felt as a child. Cause essentially that is what we all are. We're all like just a little child inside 
that's trying to deal with this big scary world and mm. it's over, it's fucking overwhelming um yeah and yeah and also like you know as a child you're even if you were really nurtured and everything like there's always going to be ways that you weren't um fully fulfilled or taken care of or that you felt yeah or school and, and bullying about, or whatever yeah. exactly and it's not about blaming anyone but it's sort of just like being like hey I'm going to take care of you now. Like I'm the one that's going to look after you. And so, yeah, it's really, yeah, it's really intense. But your inner child starts to work with you. It's, yeah. I've never <laughs> even heard it's of really it. Intense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it, there's a lot. I think there's a book my friend was saying. Oh, I can't remember what it's called. I'll, I'll ask her to tell you and you can put it in the show <laughs> notes. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of work. You can do online courses. You could probably even get meditations on YouTube. And yeah, but working with your inner child, I feel is like a really intense emotional thing, but it's it's definitely the best thing I've ever done. Well, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on and being so open, Bianca. And no yeah, I can't wait to check out your comedy when I'm in Melbourne and when lockdown's finished. I'd love, yes. I'd love to see a show. And, and finally, what advice would you have for people who were your age and going through the same things in the cycle of drinking and Coke in society we live in today, what would you tell them? Oh my God. Like, please pick up that book, This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. And also like follow people online that are in the sober community and stuff. Like don't just consider maybe, um, you know, what is the root cause of what you're trying to escape and what are you trying to get away from? And I think, yeah, you don't have to like go sober because I think that's such a scary thing to people. They're like, oh my God, I couldn't go sober. But I think maybe just start looking at and listening to people who are sober um, and maybe helping them show you what life can be like without those substances. Um, and yeah, I think just like, because I, my feed, my, my Instagram feed used to just be filled with people like drinking and like drinking memes and stuff like that. And now it's just filled with like sober people. And it's, you know, yeah, it's just, it just shows me like that there's like this really exciting way to live and, and being sober is a really exciting way to live. Um, so yeah, I think maybe just, you know, start curating your life to be surrounded by more positive things as opposed to the negative things in your life that you don't like. Great advice. And yeah, I really appreciate it. And I'm glad that you are on this journey of sobriety and you seem to be doing really well. So yeah, thank you for being so vulnerable. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for being funny too. Oh, no worries. I, I mean, was I? Was I really? You were funny. I don't... You were funny. <laughs> thank you. Good. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Yeah, no worries. Well, that's it. Thanks, Bianca, for sharing your journey with us. Thanks again for listening. And if you want to check out Bianca's podcast, I'll put the link in the show notes. Tear It Down is a 610 Media production. A special thanks to Audio Technica and Zoom for supporting me throughout my podcast journey. The cover art was by my talented sister-in-law, Courtney Woods. Theme song, Beat Number 3 by Bubba Beats. Follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you are listening to this now. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Tear It Down Podcast and also at 610 Media Group. If you want to get in touch, you can head to 610mediagroup.com or send an email to info at 610mediagroup.com. That's S-I-X and the number 10. Cheers.
If this episode has brought up any issues for you, please seek help. You can reach Lifeline at 13 11 14.